0: Any rate, Acts chapter nine is where we're at. Acts chapter nine. Last week we saw from the life of Saul that one can be religious yet not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, if you notice that the way we talked about that last week, we talked about there are a lot of people in this world who know a lot about religion, but yet there are a lot of people who know about religion who don't have a relationship. Right. They might go to church, they might help out with good things, they might even give an offering to the church. But you know, it's oftentimes I always am very careful to, to, to reiterate this point. If you come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and start a relationship with Him, I'm not asking you to join the church. In fact, I, 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 yeah, I'd really love for you to be a part of it, but my greater concern is that you know Jesus more than you'd be a part of this church. And if you have only ever going to come here one time in your life, I hope that you get that you need a relationship with Jesus more than I want you to come to the church. I really want you to know Jesus and to walk in fellowship with Him. You see, religion never saved anybody. And it will not ever save anybody. And here we saw an example of Saul before he became Paul, before God transformed his life. He was very religious. I mean, if he ever had a spiritual pedigree, if he ever had a personality that was really just captivated by all the best of life and knowing the rules and the raw laws and the regulations, it was Saul. But yet it was Saul who was religious, yet had no relationship. So we saw that last week, and we also saw that God can and may do some serious things in our life to get our attention. And I have to wonder, you know, over the last couple weeks I've been saying, what is God doing at work around you? Where is God at work? And what is God trying to do in your life? You see, the God that I know and love and serve is not a God that makes makes any mistakes. Anybody believe that? God has never yet made a single solitary mistake, right? Do you believe that? Thank you. So if you believe that God doesn't make any mistakes, that means He orchestrates the events of our lives for our good and His glory, right? So everything that happens is for a reason. I don't always understand the reason, In fact, nowhere has God said, I need you to understand everything that I'm doing and why I'm doing it. He doesn't always tell us everything. But what he does do is he orchestrates the events of our lives to get our attention. And the question we need to ask is not why did this terrible thing happen, but God, what are you trying to teach me through it? What is it that you want me to learn because of this trial, this difficulty, this situation? And sometimes we don't want to ask that question. Because, you know, those are relationship questions, not religion questions. And so we need to work on the relationship aspect of it. So when he does that, we have choices to make. When God allows circumstances in our life, we have an opportunity to respond. And we can either respond in a negative way or we can respond in a positive way. And both of those choices have consequences. So as we look at this next text of Scripture, we see God doing a great work in the life of Saul. As Saul continues on the road to Damascus, several tests of obedience were handed out. I don't know about you, but I was not a test taker when I was in high school. I didn't like tests. You know, when tests came, I cringed. I didn't like tests. Well, maybe part of it was because I didn't really study for them. (laughs) I don't know. That might have had something to do with it. I'm not sure. But I don't want to think about that aspect. I mean, I was much better than that. But I didn't like tests. But tests are there to do what? To see what we know and how we're going to respond, right? So there's several tests on the road here that were handed out. So in a few moments, you might consider whether or not God has given you any tests in Obedience 101. That's kind of one of the first classes he gives us when we know him, is Obedience 101. How have you, or how would you do on that test? So first of all, let's just look to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to look at verses 10 through 19 this morning. Dear Father, as we come before you once again, we ask God that you would speak to our hearts. And Lord God, I pray that we, as we go through this text, that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves. Oh Father, it is so easy to think that we're better than we are think that we're further along than we are, that we know more than we do, that we're practicing more than what we, you know, really are, and I pray, God, that we would just be honest with ourselves, and God, I pray that not only would we be honest, but obedient to what needs to change in our life, Lord, should you point those things out to us, so Lord, we ask that you'd speak to our hearts this morning, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, Amen. so in Acts chapter 9, beginning with verse 10, I'm going to read down through verse 19 or so. Says, Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here am I, Lord, or here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my, my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and he laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me, that is, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he rose up and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. So first of all, I want you to notice the test that Ananias received, first of all, in verses 10 and 11. So there, I think there's a couple things here that God tested him with. First of all, rise up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas about a man named Saul. Can you imagine just for a minute, for a, just, just imagine that God still speaks to us through dreams, and, and he, I believe that He does that on occasion speak to us through various amount of circumstances. But He'll speak to us, and He says, I want you to go to the, a place called, the road called Straight. Okay. What am I supposed to do when I get there? You just inquire about a man named Saul. Oh, wait a minute. You don't think the wheels of uh, you know, reputation were beginning to turn? Just for a moment, about a man named Saul. Um, God, do you know who this man is? I mean, just think about that for a moment. God, you, do you know what you're asking me to do? I mean, do you know who this man is? Did God know who he was? Of course he did. He's God. So he's, uh, he's got this test to, to take here. Do I pass the test by going and doing what God asked me to do? Or do I fail and do what I want to do and not have anything to do with Saul? I don't know about you, but it would have been very easy for Ananias to say, forget it. God, I, I know what you're asking me to do, but. God, I know that you want me to go talk to him, but. You, you don't understand, God. God. This man has special permission from the chief priests and and those who are part of the temple to bring anybody that calls on your name bound back to Jerusalem to put in prison and possibly be killed. I don't want to be a part of that group, God. So, was there a realistic, genuine fear? Was it justifiable? Sure. There are times in our lives that God is going to ask us to do things that we think, I don't know about this one, God. I don't don't know if I can do this one. This one's a little bit harder. Don't you know who you're asking me to work with? Don't you know what you're asking me to do? God knows exactly what he's asking you to do. He said, I want you to go, and I want you to go inquire at this house about a man named Saul. I want you to go. God knew exactly what he was sending him into. And if God knew exactly what He's sending him into, he knew what was going to take place when he got there. So let me ask this question. What does God ask you to do that you're giving all kinds of excuses for? Well, God, you know, I'm older now. I can't do that. You know, it blessed me to see Bill and Bob in their 80s working because they just want to be there. That's right. That's right. I don't even know if I'll make it to 80. I'm I'm just praying that's in God's hands. But, you know, just to say, God, I'm going to remove the excuses. God, you know I'm tired this week. I had a lot of hours this week. And he's like, and? Well, God, you know that things are just really crazy right now. You know, I've got a lot going on. There's a, there's just, there's just, it's just chaotic right now. And he's like, and? We make so many excuses as to why we don't serve God. Can you imagine being an Abraham? Just go. Well, Where am I supposed to go? Just go. I'll tell you when to stop. I mean, that just so goes against our culture. I mean, we've got to know... How long we're going to go? How long is it going to take to get there? What's going to happen along the way? What am I going to do when I get there? I mean, we just got to know every little detail. Can you imagine just just having to go? That's what God wants us to do sometimes. He said, I want you to go and just inquire of the man named Saul. Do you know about his reputation? Do you know how dangerous this man is? Look at verse 12 and 13. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints in Jerusalem. This guy is not safe, God. The safest place that you can be is in the center of God's will. Even if it's in the most dangerous place on planet Earth. It's the safest place to be. So how would you do on this particular test? I wonder, do you think that God knew who Saul was? Of course he did. He knew what Saul's reputation was. But you know, I think if we can safely say, according to verse 17, that Ananias passed the test. Look at verse 17. It says, so Ananias departed and entered the house. And he laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord sent me that Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I think he passed a couple of tests. First of all, he believed God was speaking to him and he answered. And number two, he went and did what God told him to do. What test has God given you to test your obedience? I don't know what that is, but I believe you and God know what that is. You and God know exactly how he's speaking to you. And you know and God knows what excuses you're making. What distractions that you're allowing to be a part of your life so that you can have some type of justification or or, or a rationalization or an excuse as to why you shouldn't have to do it. You and God know that. But it doesn't stop there. We also see that God gave Saul a test. And I think it started back in verse 6 that we talked about a little bit last week. So Saul has a test. In verse 6 it says, but rise up and enter the city and it will be told you what you must do. So Saul is all of a sudden counted with a a test as to whether he should go. Where am I going? Just go to the city. You're already on your way, but now you have a different purpose. You're going there to get all those who are part of the way, those who are calling on the name of Jesus, but we're going to change it. Now you're going there because you're going to have a new assignment. So he had a test. Will you trust that I'm sending you where you need to go? Will you you just trust me? You know, for a lot of people, that's a huge test. Do I have what it takes to trust him? When you think about that, that is a huge test. How many would say, I'm pretty self-willed? I I don't like authority. I I like to do things my own way. (laughs) Hands and a foot. If I could get the other one up there and, and levitate, I'd do it. But the reality is, we all don't like authority. We don't like people telling us what to do. We want to do it our own way because we know better. Our experiences tell us that. Our, our opinions tell us that. Our preferences tell us that. And he's got a test here. Am I going to trust God that he's sending me where he wants me to go for a reason? And then there's another one. Who's this Ananias? How is he going to do what you say he's going to do? I mean, I'm blind and can't see and all of a sudden this guy's going to touch me and it's all going to be better? Right. That makes sense. Not. But look at it. That's exactly what he had to trust God for. It was another test of whether or not he would obey God. He had to go there. And we see that, I think down in verse 12. And he said, that he, For he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. He's got to go and trust that this Ananias is going to somehow touch his life. His eyes. And bring back his sight through God. So God used Ananias to accomplish his will with Saul. And we see that in verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight and rose up and was baptized. And God restored Saul's sight with food and was strengthened. So here's the question I think we need to ask ourselves at times. Why does God allow tests in our lives? Why? You know, even in the last couple of weeks, I've had conversations with people who say, well, God wouldn't do that. Why? Why wouldn't he allow something that's hard? Why would we think that God would not love us enough to allow something that's very, very difficult in our lives? I mean, do we serve a God who's, I mean, never will anything harmful happen to us? No, that's not a. that's a God of our choosing. That's a God of our making. That's not a real God of the Scripture. The God of our scriptures is a just God, a righteous God, a holy God, a God that knows what's best for us, right? Yeah. And part of all that is to know that sometimes God allows things in our lives that we would not choose. How many would say I have seen things in my life that I would not choose, but God allowed. Them? Yeah. God has a reason. And I think a lot of times they're tests to see how we're going to respond. Are you going to respond in the flesh or are you going to respond through the spirit? Are you going to let God work through this, or are you going to get all angry and upset over it? It's a choice, and everything in life is a choice and consequence algorithm. These choices have these effects, these choices have these effects. What is it that you're going to let God do in and through you? Why does he allow tests? And I think the short answer is this, to accomplish his will. You see, life is not about us. You've heard me say that for 12 years standing here. Life is not about us. It's all about Him. And if it's about us, it's upside down, because it's got to be all about Him. And the bottom line is, it's not about us, and it never will be. As we go about life, everything is to be like John the Baptist. He says, I'm not that man. I was sent to bear, what? Image of that man. He goes, that man, I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandals, latches. He goes, that man is incredibly awesome and powerful. He goes, I'm not him. I'm just sent to be a a reflection of him. How did did Paul say it later? I am crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ, what? Lives in me. Paul said, when you look at me, I don't want you to see Paul. I want you to see a picture of Jesus. And that's why he allows everything in our life. We we, we get upset with God. Why did you let this happen? Why did you let that happen? What does Romans 8 28 say? All things work together for good. And I'm just saying, oh no, it can't be working good together for good. This is not a good thing. Read the rest of the verse. Mm -hmm. To them that love God and are called according to his purpose. Do I love God enough to trust him that he's only going to allow what's best for me in my life? That's the verse. All things work together for good to them that love God and trust Him enough for Him to work His will through in and through us. And then you read through verse 29, that you might be conformed to the image of His Son. God is working everything in your life so that you might become more like Jesus. Sometimes God's getting the chisel out and He's like, boom, boom. And we're like, man, we got the epoxy on this stuff. He's not chipping this stuff for nothing. And God's like, <laughs> let, me, let me get that other hammer that's a little bit bigger. <laughs> and God's just like, let me, let me mold you. Let me shape you. Because your life is not about you, it's about me. And we can go kicking and screaming, or we can go compliantly. I think God's three things here for us to learn from that maybe we don't understand, but God understands. Here's the first one. Uh, look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument. Question. Just, just, this is just a hypothetical. Maybe you never thought like this line before, but can you imagine just dreaming a little bit, being the person that led C.H. Version to the Lord? <clears throat> Can you imagine being the one that led Dale Moody to the Lord? Can you imagine being the one that led Leonard Ravenhill to the Lord? The one that led Charles Stanley to the Lord? The one that led you know uh, Billy Graham to the Lord? Can you imagine? How cool would that be? It's like, God used me. That's cool. God used me just, just to plant a seed and maybe God used me to water it a little bit. Maybe God used me to just to, to work in, you know, to just kind of have a conversation and Think what God would have done. I don't think Ananias knew for a minute. I don't think anybody could have comprehended. This man that God is using me to go touch is going to be the man who writes half the New Testament. Can you imagine? Just for a minute. And Ananias like, no, 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 he's got a reputation. Ananias, I want you to understand something. He's a chosen instrument. i got some great plans for Him. And I need you to be a part of it. Who does God want you to be a part of? Whose life does He want to use you to touch? And we don't even know this side of heaven, the result of that. It might be years later that God shows you that, man, remember the person you led to the Lord years ago? Well, He's just a great servant of the Lord for me. Who does God want to use you to touch? Are you willing to let God use you? Are you willing I don't think that the idea of him being a chosen instrument is special to Saul. Do you believe that? I believe that's to all of us. He said, every one of us that know him, you're His child. You're a peculiar people. You're dedicated and set apart for His service, Your work His workmanship created unto good works. That's not just for Saul. That's for all of us. And God's like over and over, and I've said this for years, it's not about your skills and abilities and talents and communication. and It has nothing to do with it. God's saying, I'm looking for people that I can use. If you're willing to let God use you. You're that chosen instrument. If you're willing to let God use you. But if you make it about how shy or not, or shy, shy, or not shy you are, you'll never do anything. If you make it all about what verses you've memorized and what ones you haven't, you'll never do anything. If you make it all about your personality and whether or not you can talk to strangers, you'll never do anything. That's all hogwash to God. None of that matters. Well, Pastor, you're that guy that's never met a stranger. You can talk to anybody. So, what's that have to do with the price of tea in China? The bottom line is, God said, I want to use you. And if you will let me use you, he goes, I've not given you the spirit of fear, but power of love and sound mind. He said, all power is given unto you, and you should be my witnesses. Right? He says, I'm looking for people that I can use. And God is saying, it's not about your skills, abilities, or the lack thereof. Just let me speak through you. He's a chosen instrument. Number two, in this school. Verse 15. He's going to bear my name before Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Right. And I can you imagine, and I just for a minute, you mean this guy that I'm supposed to go touch his eyes? This guy that I'm supposed to, you know, lay the Holy Spirit upon? This guy is going to be speaking before kings? Hmm. Once again, we don't know this side of heaven. The impact of lives that we can touch. What God will do in and through you if you'll let him did he go forward? yes was he used to impact Gentile people? yes was he, did he speak before kings? yes he went and buried, bore the name of Jesus in everything that he did even though we can't see it God already knows the end even though we don't know how it's going to unfold God does and we don't have to write the story God's already written it the bottom line is it's not about us or what we think we can do or can't do right? here's the third thing we don't like to think about. He says, for I will show him how much he must what? Say that loud again? Suffer. Say it again? Suffer. suffer. How many like to suffer? Raise your hand. That's exactly what I thought. This guy has caused suffering. This guy got permission to take people hand and bound back to Jerusalem and be thrown in prison. And Ananias was told by the Holy Spirit, This man, he doesn't know yet, but he's going to suffer a whole bunch. He imagined just for a moment, he's like, Good, it's about time. He's got a reputation. Yeah, we want that on somebody else. But here's the point God's hand was on him. God wanted to use him, and it wasn't going to be easy. You know, I think that. Three things are true of all of us in this room. I I really do. For all of us that know Jesus, you're a chosen instrument. For all of us that know Jesus, you have a task that's been assigned to you from God to fulfill that only you can fulfill, that he wants for you and your life to fulfill. And number three, he said, I'm going to show them how much you must suffer. But the bottom line is we're all going to go through suffering if you live for Jesus. He says, Yea, and all who are in Christ Jesus who live godly will what? Suffer persecution. It will come. And it may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but it will come. And the bottom line is there are people who don't like our message. There are people who don't like what we do, but that doesn't deter us. We know who we we know who we are, who we belong to. We know what God is wanting to do in and through us. And we're his. We know whose we are, right? So our job is not to define that. Our job is not to say, well, God, have you thought about sending me here? Because that's a little bit easier. And God, have you, you know, decided to send me over here? Because, you know, that, that's a little bit nicer. Yeah, God, I'm not, I'm not going to go to Hawaii. I'm not going to serve you there. I just, no, I'm not going to do it. You can force me, but I'm not going to do it. Where's the other places I want to go? Australia. I got, I'm not going to go to Australia either. That's just—I won't go. <laughs> yeah, right. That's smarter than our reverse psychology. What he's looking for is, is obedience. And these tests that Ananias had to go through—do I really believe the dream? Do I really believe that God's going to use me? And do I really believe that when I go at the end of this thing that there's actually going to be something for me to do there? Those are tests that are real for all of us. And, and for Saul, do I, do, why am I blind? And why do I have to trust these people I don't know? And these people are probably going to have it in for me because they know how, how, who I really am in my heart. We all have tests that we're going to have to take. The question is, how are you going to respond to them? Are you going to pass or fail? These are pass or fail tests. They're not 70%. D, or, six, or, or 80% C 90% B these are pass fail and you're either going to pass by saying God I'll do it or fail and shrink back and do your own thing we see example of two people who are given tests and they passed because was all about serving God We see that what God says actually happened. How do I know that? Verse 18. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he regained his sight. And rose up and was baptized. Whereas again, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. First step of obedience after salvation is what? Baptism. Baptism. It's the first step of obedience. And you should take that step. If you've never been baptized. And in verse 19 it says, And he took food and was strengthened. Now, for several days, he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. Can you imagine the joy and the excitement after the fear and the trembling that was in that circle of disciples? Can you imagine the word got out? Hey, guys, you know that Saul guy? He got saved. Hey, guys, you know that Saul? No, he did not. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's with us. You see him? He's changed. Can you imagine being a part of that little circle? Imagine being Ann nice saying, "Wow, God, you did something great here today." What does God want to do in and through you? How does God want you to be used? And will you let God use you? I don't know what God's going to do throughout the rest of my life. I have no earthly idea. I know for many years I thought God was going to send me to a mission, as a missionary to other countries. I, I would have gladly went. I don't know why God. Closes some doors, leaves some open, and has us to walk through certain doors and shuts other doors. I just know that God has a reason. He has a purpose. He has a plan. And I trust it completely. I don't worry about it. I just trust it. It's just, to me, it's black and white. It's just, God says, do it, do it. That's it. But it starts with surrender. That's where it starts. First Corinthians six nineteen says, "What? Know ye not that your body is the what? Temple of the Holy Ghost? What's it go on to say? Anybody know? For you are what? Bought with a price. You're not your own. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which are His. Do you realize that you don't get the freedom to make your own choices with your own life if you belong to God? Oh, we do. We try." But if God truly owns you, then it should be a life of surrender. A life of commitment to follow Him and a relationship with Him. But it really starts with saying, God, I surrender. Whatever you have, whatever you want, that's fine. That's one of the hardest first steps to take. Because then all the worry, the fear... What's he going to do? What's he, where's he going to send me? What's he going to have me change? What do I have to give up? What do I have to take on? What do I, It's not about any of that. It's a joy to serve him. It really is. Yeah. And until you surrender, you won't know the joy of walking with him. I would challenge you this way this morning. Two things. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ that's scary because I don't know what that looks like who cares take the step of surrender if you trust God surrender say God whatever you want I'm yours I would challenge you if you've never made that prayer to God to simply say God I surrender Well, God might send me as a missionary so we'll get behind you He may send me a, so, safest place to be in this universe is in the center of God's will. Mm -hmm. Surrender. I don't know what it looks like for all of you. I'm still trying to figure out what it looks like for me sometimes. Surrender. And then number two, if you are surrendered, if you've come to the place where you say, God, you have my life, you can do whatever you want with it, the second thing then is this. Are you walking in complete obedience? Yeah. Don't look for someone else to do what God asks you to do. Don't expect someone else to do what he wants you to do. And quit making excuses. Excuses don't get us anywhere. Excuses don't get anything done. Shoulda, coulda, woulda. It's worthless. I do talk. It really is. Pastor, You're harsh. No, it's true, right? It's Black and white. It's good to be told once in a while. I need it. You need it. Mm-hmm. I don't talk, is cheap. Accomplishes nothing. What is it that God is wanting to do in and through your life? I don't know what that looks like. You and God do, though. And if you ask God to lead you, he will direct you. I promise you that. So, I'm asking two things today. Are you surrendered? And are you walking in complete obedience? How are you going to handle the test that God gives you? Pass fail, either respond in obedience or don't. And both of those have consequences. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that you wouldn't just challenge us as I prayed earlier, but that, Lord, you would truly change us. That we would truly take that step of surrender. Dear Father, I ask that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves Lord, some of us think we're surrendered and we're not. We go to church, we give an offering, we help out when needed. But God, if we're honest with ourselves, we're holding back. I pray, God, that every one of us would truly be able to look back at a time in our life where we surrendered everything and we're holding to it. And then, Lord, I pray that every one of us would walk in obedience. God, I pray that I would every aspect of my life, Lord. I couldn't make any excuses, that no justification, no rationalization. God, just no excuses, just walk in obedience. But we just have a desire in our heart to know you, Father. To see your hand at work in our midst and Lord, that we would just, because of our obedience, be a part of what you're doing. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, I've never taken a moment and surrendered my life to Christ my desire. I want God to use me. I want God to to be real in my life. But I've never surrendered my life to his. To do whatever he wants with me. Would you pray for me this morning? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I've never surrendered everything. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. Yes, over here and in the back. I appreciate your honesty. That's the first step, folks see God work in our midst and say, God, you've got my life. You can do with it whatever you want. And God, I'm scared. I really don't know how to handle it, but God, I'm going to trust you. I surrender. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. That's my desire. And the second question then is this. Say, Pastor, I've made that commitment. I've surrendered. But there's areas of my life that I've not been obedient in. God's convicted me this morning. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes. Yes. Back in the front side. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. There's some areas I need to take a step in. Yes. Yes. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate it. Can I challenge you guys who have raised your hand and your heart to God this morning? I appreciate your honesty. But don't walk out of this building having been, ha- having had, not, not had an opportunity to make it right with the for a moment, I encourage you, right where you're at, right in your seat, to take a moment and say, God, forgive me. Because what does God's word say? To him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, it's sin. So, Lord, will you forgive me? Because I've I've been holding back. God, forgive me. I haven't surrendered everything. Forgive me and help me to. God, increase my faith. God, increase my trust. God, do a work in and through me that only you can do. God, I surrender to you. And God, forgive me for not being completely obedient in some areas. Help me to be obedient. God, change my desire so I want to be obedient. Because God, my flesh is strong. Just talk with God for a minute. Just take a moment and say, God, thank you for speaking to me. God, help me to walk in obedience. God, help me to surrender. God, help me to live for you. Just take a moment and talk with God. ask God to help you pass the next test he gives you. The next test of whatever it is that he has for you. God, help me to pass the test. So I'll stand to our feet as we close. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, all around the auditorium, Lord, you spoke to hearts this morning. Lord, many who said, I've never surrendered all and I thank you, Lord, for challenging them to surrender all. Lord, for those who have acknowledged that there's some areas of obedience that they need to to make right, God, thank you for speaking to their hearts. But God, I pray that every one of us in this room this morning, Lord, as we go our separate ways, that we would truly walk away living a surrendered life, living a life that is complete obedience to you, Lord. Lord, I know that with every decision we make, Lord, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be trials. So God, I pray for for strength, for victory. I pray, God, that you would be stronger than any one of our enemies. That you would be stronger than anything, Lord, that would have a chance to defeat us and distract us. I pray, God, for you to work in the hearts of these who acknowledge their need. God, that you would grant victory this week, right now. Because you are a great, powerful, and awesome God. And God, we love you. We appreciate you and are grateful and thankful for all that you've done for us. And may our life reflect that gratefulness. We pray in Jesus'